0: I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. And now, let's jump right into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of All Things Marketing and Education. In this episode, I sat down with Shelby Dank. Shelby is the founder and principal advisor and researcher at Arkin Research. And we're going to go into what that means and why that's important in this episode. I will tell you that she is a very smart and passionate human being. I first met Shelby at ISTE. For those of you that don't know that conference, it is the biggest ed tech conference in the US. And we had such a great inspiring conversation, I left it saying you have to come on the show. Her knowledge is amazing. I feel like the way she talks about research, evaluation, and efficacy makes it approachable, easy, and inspiring. So this is the episode you don't want to miss. A little bit more about Shelby before we get into it. She has 10 plus years experience on all sorts of things, research and evaluation. We'll link to her bio in the show notes, but she's done research and evaluation from all spectrums within K-12, specifically in math, in reading and K-12 brands and things like that. She is most recently the chief impact and strategy officer for Reading Horizon, and this episode We're going to get into the role of efficacy studies in K-12 education, and if you don't know what that is, we're going to explain it, and I swear it'll be something that you'll be able to understand quickly, whether you're an educator or an ed tech. We're going to talk a little bit about the misconceptions about evaluation, and you know me, I like to bring it from strategy and high level into practicality. So we do want to be able to say, what can we do right away as a brand if we want to start measuring our impact and doesn't have to be so hard. And from the educator perspective, why is it important? What should you look for? So we're going to touch all of those things and more in this episode. Please stay tuned. I think this is an episode not to be missed. And Shelby, I could just talk to her for days and days. So please enjoy the episode. All right. Well, welcome everyone to All Things Marketing and Education. Today, I am so excited to be sitting down with Shelby Banks. Shelby, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know it's a bit random because we don't know each other as well, but I just had such a good feeling about you when we sat down at ISTE and we had this deep conversation and I learned so much just in a short amount of time with you that I I couldn't help but open my mouth and say, you need to come on the show. So I am glad you said yes to this crazy idea. And I am so excited about all the things that people are going to learn from you today. Thank you.
1: You realize you're asking for it, Alana, when you asked someone to trick about data.
0: <laughs> I know. And because I don't come from this background, I just nerd out with you. I go, what do you mean? And I ask all these questions that I think are stupid, but I just... The more I become enthralled in the ed tech universe, the more But you've got to have data, you got to really think almost with a scientific mindset to make sure that even when you're starting out of the startup, that you are really looking at, is my tool, is my product or service making a difference? And how do I know that? So you, people like you are the keys to the kingdom.
1: That's I get so excited when I get to talk to you. So thank you so much. We we love vegan out. So this is a pleasure for sure.
0: Yes. So Shelby, why don't you just start out and talk to me about why did you get into this field? I think there's a lot of people on our show, either they're ed tech professionals or they're innovative educators, maybe looking at career shifts or moving up and down. I'd love to know, gosh, why education and, and why specifically this field of research
1: and expertise? What moved you to get there? Great question. I think a lot of people in our situation, they would say, well, life is roundabout. and No one grows up thinking, I want to be an education researcher when I grow up because I just have to uncover what works for whom and under what conditions, man. No one says that going into their career. (laughs) But ultimately, I started off in education. I was an educator, teacher, taught elementary school and junior high math for many years. And then worked in staff development and did a lot of new teacher coaching and helping with principally continuous improvement. And then temporarily left education, went to healthcare to do strategic planning for about three years and, and then one year at IBM and then came to my senses and realized I missed those kids. I missed my kids. And so I came back as at that point I had my PhD and I started working as a managing researcher and really just kind of gravitated toward how do we support and empower educators to better and more meaningfully used data. And at the at the time I was naive and thought that that meant outcome data. And over time I've gotten a lot more astute in recognizing that we really need to be a lot more meaningful with how we select and choose measures to really evaluate impact. So it's been it's kind of the roundabout journey. <laughs> Those are why I'm so excited to talk to because you get right into like
0: measurement and data and what we used <laughs> to measure. is and and what my colleague Porter Power says it's like we treasure what we measure in education. And if we actually looked critically about what we care about and and what do we think the true purpose of education is, we wouldn't be stuck sometimes in this backward planning based on things we care about. But there are those true measures of student success. Yeah, I'm already getting into it, but like you 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 fed it up and I'm excited to to start talking about how evaluation played the critical role in K-12 education in particular. And Maybe just t- talk to us a little bit of an overview of the state of efficacy research and evaluation in K-12 education. What's the role it plays?
1: Good deal. Well, I think we're seeing a huge uptick. We're definitely seeing an increase in demand from districts and schools asking, what is the evidence of your of your solution? We've seen that for some time now in the curriculum industry, you know, for a long time, even as a head standard that... Expected education organizations to say, This is the impact of our curriculum on student outcomes. And so now, of course, the Department of Education, the Education Technology Department, has put out additional guidance and evidence for education technology companies to think about how they're evaluating the impact of what they're doing in classrooms. And so we're seeing a lot of demand for that. Interestingly enough, while districts are increasingly asking for more evidence of impact, they're always not so willing to participate. In the generation of data and, and and evidence. And so that's because we, so we because of that, we've seen a lot more, more collaborative efforts to really partner with and engage and collaborate with K-12 districts in a meaningful way so that they can have a huge voice in what type of things we're researching. They can play a part in how we organize and design the studies. And then they can get access to real-time data throughout the studies so that they're not waiting until the end of the year to get some report. Um, and so by involving districts In the design and the implementation of research, we're actually noticing that researchers, interestingly enough, are having greater impact because we're actually more involved in the weeds of the work. So it's a lot of fun. Um, Those research practitioner partnerships have really increased in demand. And then ultimately, we're still seeing a huge demand, especially on the ed tech side, for what is the evidence of your thingy? And we see our our consumers, basically districts and, and schools, they vary in their level of sophistication of understanding what they even mean by evidence. Sometimes they're asking for what is the evidence base to inform the design of your thingy. And sometimes they ask, what is the impact of your thingy? And so really trying to understand what they need and when they need it is really critical in our work. Okay, you said some good things in all of this. So on a
0: high level, evidence play the critical role in K-12 education, it always has. But what I heard you say is bring up ESSA and then also with the influx of the ESSER funds too, of, you know, is there something to show that there is some type of, whether it be student outcomes, which we we use so generically in umbrella terms, it's like student outcomes, we improve and go to any ed tech site and you'll, you'll do that phrase. But are, are there also key metrics that, we will measure and look for and have studies set up around that, too. I think we'll dive in a little bit deeper on that, but I want to jump back into a little bit of the metrics and the data that you're talking about, too. So let's start about student outcomes again. So you talked about the importance of efficacy and the role of research in ed tech in particular. What are people looking for and does it depend on the type of product or service in general or can you make some generalizations on the type of data that we should be tracking?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think the answer is both and. So ultimately, when an ed tech provider comes out, they either offer a curriculum, an enabling technology or some other type of service that you know makes lives easier for teachers or leaders. And ultimately, we find they want to understand what is the impact of the thingy on student outcomes. And I think this is one of the major misconceptions of an evaluation is that we oftentimes just immediately associate that with student outcomes, but that that model of complexity is too complex to be able to do that. And that, that's typologically to be able to associate the resources with the outcomes. And so one of the things I often share is that most ed tech organizations are on a collision course with the idea of implementation integrity. So because of the role of ed tech, where they sit in that ecosystem, and Almore Ibrahim, he put out a great book a few years ago called Measuring Social Impact. And in that book, he talked about depending on where your role is in this ecosystem, it really impacts what you should be measuring as your outcome. And so, in, for example, if you have a low level of certainty about cause and effect, and you have a high level of or a low level of direct impact on, this, on the, the outcomes that you're trying to influence, But you need to be measuring more proximal outcomes and you should measure outcomes by your influence on the system. So that's a lot of gobbledygook basically for saying that ultimately the measure of impact of any educational technology is the implementation integrity. That is the most proximal and really meaningful measure. And so instead of just doing one big study, and I think a lot of our efficacy research is like this, we do one big study we look at what is the impact of my curriculum, PL, or solution on outcomes, it's really benefit us to break that into two studies, to really understand not only what works, but for whom and under what conditions. So for example, what is the impact of using this curriculum or this enabling technology on teacher implementation? That's study number one. A separate study is once we have a lot of implementation data, we can say, what is the relationship between implementation and outcomes? And by breaking that into two separate studies, what we've done is we've number one, answered more than just the question of what works. We understand for whom and under what conditions. And number two, and this is my favorite, we've generated a ton of free user experience research because a lot of people they separately will go do UX research, especially in the early phases when they 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 say, well, we want to know the impact, but they don't really have a strong theoretical model yet as to how their solution should work. It's it's non-prescriptive. It's like a teacher could use it in a variety of ways. And so this is actually a really good way for them to better understand how it should look. And it just generates a lot of free user experience research. So instead of doing user experience research, hoping you get a good efficacy study, instead, if you invest in a good efficacy study and focus on implementation integrity, then you get a ton of free user experience research. It's super exciting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've actually never heard it. It's almost like you've reverse engineered it into totally. something that provides more usefulness and a little bit more flexibility because a lot of people at ed tech, a lot of the tools, they're fairly flexible. Like, you know, you could have a tool that just captures video or a tool that asks questions and you don't really know how educators are going to use it until you unleash it on them. And I've seen a lot of our assumptions go out the door and they're, oh, they're gonna use it this way and then they use it the exact opposite way too. So I love your idea of being as flexible as possible and breaking it up into two distinct studies because they are two very distinct pathways and you need to do both of them right, but they're different. And when you were talking, you called it theoretical models. In my head, I was trying to map out a theory of change or a theory of action where I was like, and, and this is a little bit of my evaluation background, but I don't have much, but I was trying to visually go, okay, so what are our inputs that she's talking about and how directly correlated are they to the out,
1: the intended output? Am I okay. thinking about that right? I think so. And it's funny, I can't even keep up myself with all the different verbiage out there as to what we call the theory of change or a logic model. It's like everybody has their own loose definitions. And so, but ultimately that's right. So a lot of times, when we work with a, a provider, we'll say we want an impact evaluation. And so we'll start to ask questions about what is the theory, you know, how does it work? And, and what we find is that there is actually a non-prescriptive model. So like you said, it can be used in a variety of ways. And so until you actually have a little bit more idea as to how the, your solution should work instead of just how it could work, you're actually not really ready for an impact evaluation. And so that's where I typically come in and say, well, let's do an exploratory evaluation that looks at what is the relationship between using your your materials on implementation. Let's look at the varietals of implementation. Let's find out what seems to be working better for teachers and why. Then we can create a theoretical model. So implementation research usually ends up generating a better theoretical model than then waiting until you do an impact study and you get an impact with an outcome and it's a thumbs up, thumbs down scenario. And so that's just a really fun way to kind of better understand the even the value of your solution as well. Great. So let's back up just for a hot minute
0: because sometimes we have, there's so many terminologies in ed tech in general acronyms, but within the field of evaluation, research, efficacy, can you break down, let's go into the definitions of the difference of evaluation versus research. And then why don't we talk a little bit about the misconception of the field?
1: Good deal. Well, I think it depends on who you ask the definition between research and evaluation, because ultimately, if you come down to the purpose, what is the purpose of it? Is it to generate new knowledge or is it to evaluate that what something is working? If it's to evaluate the extent to which something is working, then we we typically call that evaluation as if it's working as intended. If it's to generate new knowledge that we necessarily haven't had an understanding of, or to test a theory or a hypothesis, we typically call it research. Oftentimes, those activities can be done in one fell swoop, depending on how well you design both of those things. And I think one of the major misconceptions about evaluation is that it really can be done in a vacuum. So, for example, there's an there's an incredible organization that's nonprofit. They've been well funded for a long time, and they have a really beautiful solution for how to better communicate with and engage with parents. And it's all tech enhanced. And so they would like to understand, for example, the impact of using this solution on student outcomes. And so they could, for example, commission an evaluation of their solution. Sadly enough, no teacher uses that solution in isolation in any way. And so, you know, schools are complex systems. And so it would be better to ask, what are the specific local conditions that that school is using them, that, that with? Like, is it being used with a certain curriculum? Is it being used in a certain content area? And it'd be better to integrate that solution further upstream in the work and evaluate the entire, we call it the evaluate and. It would be better to evaluate the impact of all of it together. So for example, you know, one of the misconceptions that we get is that everything can be evaluated by itself. But ultimately, there are many, many instances, especially in tech, where to evaluate just the tech is is really confusing. I think both for teachers and for, and for leaders. And it's definitely confusing as you try to design a study that does that. So insofar as we can better collaborate with and partner with content-focused organizations, and integrate our content at the beginning and then evaluate the cumulative impact of that, we get a better outcomes. Mm, okay, so pause there. You're probably gonna get into so many other uh, mid
0: but you're saying that it, especially in ed tech, it's not just because of A, there is B. There's not this direct correlation because the ecosystem of K-12 is, is quite complex and there's multiple stakeholders, parents, educators, paraeducators. Admins that might be using the product or service, plus there might be some other things in play, like what type of curricula are they using? What type of environment of school are they using? What supports do they have? Is that what you're saying? so like you kind of have to look more holistically and the the misconception is is sometimes it can be quite overly
1: simplistic, thinking it is, like because of a, then there's B. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And a prime example of this is right now, we actually have two competing instructional models happening in the math and literacy world. So the science of reading and the science of math is going on in the industry. And the science of reading, what it would recommend highly direct instruction that's very explicit, multi-sensory for students to learn. And so a lot of direct instruction takes place using the gradual release of responsibility model. At the same time, in mathematics, we recommend a more problem-based approach where we are reading through inquiry. And so the habits and practices and instructional routines a teacher has to have to be able to implement effectively the science of reading principles in in a literacy curriculum, and then to turn around in mathematics and completely change their model and change their habits is very complex. So for example, if I were going to evaluate the impact of a mathematics tutoring service to find out the impact of that, I would have to understand how my solution is interacting with all of those other factors to produce the outcomes that we're getting. And until we see those contextual factors come alive in an evaluation report, it's really hard to make a connection to my own context if I'm a different school district reading that report to find out how likely am I going to be to receive similar results. So what's going? there's a, there's a lot of different ways in which different things that are happening at that campus can really drive outcomes in ways that are really hard to see unless you're really getting in there and focusing again on implementation integrity. Great.
0: So are there any other misconceptions you'd like to bring up? Because I certainly have some really good questions in the offer too, but is that the main one you think around research and evaluation shouldn't, doesn't ever live in a silo? It's a very
1: complicated environment within K-12 education and higher education. Absolutely. That's a huge one. And then, of course, just, you know, the idea that we should just, when we talk about efficacy, we're just focusing on student outcomes, and, you know, as you mentioned before. So that's that's critical to focus on implementation for sure.
0: Yeah. All right. So when I'm hearing all of this, I'm hearing the EdTech brand, the most scream at me and go, this sounds expensive. This sounds long. I don't have time. If I'm a CEO and just starting up, I'm doing 20 jobs. I have a very small runway. I know the importance of research. And this is why I got into EdTech is to make it different. But how do I prioritize it? Or like, you know, maybe like, what would you recommend for all of those EdTech brands that don't have efficacy studies or data and that might be intimidated
1: by it? Great question. And it can be intimidating because the way we write reports is super fancy and sometimes even I can't make heads or tails of certain ways that they're put out. And so it makes sense that there would be a fear of that. However, there are a lot of research firms that are out there where they focus more on instructional models. They care more about how it's being implemented than just the numbers. And so I would say... The, real, the the first piece of advice certainly would be to, depending on where you are in your journey, the type of research that you're going to need is going to vary. And, you know, every research partner will specialize in in a different part of that journey, to be honest. So, for example, I have a lot of really great collaborators who are just masters of impact research. And I typically, if I hear that they're interested in looking at the relationship between the use of their curriculum on outcomes and they want to run a randomized control trial or some type of heavy-handed like quasi-experimental study, I will definitely refer them to someone who I would trust to be able to do that meaningfully. However, if they're earlier in their journey and they're still trying to understand how their your solution is, is being used with classrooms, then actually a lot of implementation research can be done pretty simply. So just reaching out to someone who specializes in that to serve as an ongoing partner They can jump in in arm-in-arm and design something that's very low-key, and it usually starts off with documenting very clearly what that intended instructional model is, creating some really good tools to empower professional learning coaches and astro-observers to go in and have a common language is what we're looking for when we look at classrooms, and then having a really simple way to correlate that with outcomes is to a star, and that can be very affordable, which is nice. Great. And I'm going to follow up with
0: you if you have any resources or things to help any depending, like you said, there's different journeys within ed tech too. But if there's any resources that come to mind, let's put them in the show notes to help people navigate there. All right. So we talked about high level, what the state of evaluation, what critical role it plays within education. And more and more, it's not okay to just say, hey, it engages students, hey, it's fun, it's shiny new object tech syndrome. Like it has to be mapping to something that the district or the school has carefully laid out in their strategic plans, right? So we talked about mm-hmm. all of that on a high level, what the role is, that, and then and beginnings of how to get started and the misconception. But I think it's interesting. Let's flip it around. So from the educator's perspective, they are looking at a lot of ed tech tools that sometimes say they have research. I'd love for you to kind of poke holes and, and help them and say like, What should they look for when they're evaluating programs and products or reading secondhand evaluation? Like, how do they make sure that what's real and what's fake, what's watered down? I know that's a big
1: question, but maybe you have a couple of tips of like, don't do this, see this, this is great. I love that question. Goodness, I I, I hardly know where to start. There's so many different ideas here. There's two sides of me. There's the juggle and the hide. So the purest researcher inside of me. You know, recognizing some of the more rigorous evaluation designs require a little bit more expertise would say definitely reach out to someone who can help you critically appraise and interpret a lot of these reports. So bring on an advisor or bring on a research partner that can at least, if if they can't poke holes in some of those studies, at least can give you some advice of like some of the limitations of those studies and can help you understand what they can and can't tell you. So that's, that's the short answer. The other answer is as researchers, we need to get better at effectively communicating exactly what is the most important thing to our solution. And ultimately that means more context in our reports. And so one thing that I always encourage, you know, readers to look at is to what extent are the researchers providing enough meaningful context about the actual study that was done for you to be able to say, oh, this is similar to my situation or different from my situation? One of the most big I think one of the biggest critiques that we often get is, well, that that worked in that instance, but it will never work in my instance, which on the one hand is not always true. I mean, there's certain things that will work no matter what, but it is a valid question to ask. How does the study relate to my own context? And so insofar as the researcher can provide more detail there, it makes it way more useful. And I actually have a little quick guide. In the past, I think I wrote a little blog post about what they called it good, better, and best. How to evaluate success stories that are typically put on the web. And so, and, and, you know, anyone's welcome to go and look at that little resource as well, but kind of gives a little bit of guidance to look for.
0: Great. And we'll put that in the show notes as well, because I know we could do an entire episode just on <laughs> things that you should look for. Oh, and whatnot. I, I know that we talked previously at times of around the importance of educators, testimonials, and making sure that you have a diverse range of them that meet oh this is a rural school this is a public rural this is a title one or uh, urban so being able to show the diversification even with like small qualitative things just simple it doesn't have to be tied to a huge study that this has been somebody's experience to bring them in i think that i sometimes look at research and evaluation as a way to scaffold too. like what are the small things that maybe her baby steps on the way you know that we don't think of but They don't feel so intimidating to start. But what I hear from you in general, what I love is there are some people out there that you can partner with that can be somewhat affordable and set you up with a structure so you know how to best position yourself in the future and not make sure that you're leaving things on the table. So 10 years down the road, you're not scratching your head going, gosh, I really wish we captured this data or or we thought about it this way.
1: That's right. And I've seen organizations do it differently as well. So there was I worked for one curriculum organization who was led by some very strong academics in their particular fields. And so they recognized the complexity of adopting a new curriculum, particularly one that required such instructional shifts as a reform curriculum would. And so what they did is they invested for multiple years in meaningful deep implementation studies to understand how it was looking in classrooms how it was thriving, what were the enabling conditions that either led to the success or the lack of success or sustainability the inability of the curriculum, et cetera. And then later on, once they had a really full understanding as to what it could look like, they created a should statement and then created rubrics. And then now they're commissioning a really large company to come in and do the multi-million dollar efficacy study that that a lot of organizations strive for. On the other hand, I've worked for organizations who do the other way around. They are, They understand the market pressure to demonstrate efficacy. So they'll go and do a quick efficacy study. They'll get the results. They'll look at it and say, neat, now we need to understand why on earth we're making a difference. And so then they will later on invest in implementation studies after they have the efficacy study to really understand a little bit more about it. So I would encourage, you know, any organization out there, just because you may have done something that hasn't been your favorite in the past or you have limited information, there's definitely more learning to be done that can be very exciting to do.
0: All right. Gosh, I every time I see you, I'm like, let's just talk. Let's talk more. Let's talk more about professional development. Let's talk more about evaluation because there's so much and there's so much nuanced. But for those of you listening, I hope this gave you a little tidbit. And at at the very least, you thought, wow, maybe we're not thinking about the role of efficacy and research and how it relates to what we're doing as strategic as we could be. Maybe we're not set up to integrate it in. So I want you to pause, maybe have some conversations with your leadership. If you are an educator or, or a leader in education evaluating a lot of ed tech, think about the resources that you have to, to critically evaluate any research that they're pulling up to and saying, here's how we map the student outcome. And then what role and in, in terms of all of the things you look at to select an ed tech provider, where does efficacy and research play within it? So these are open ended questions. I just. I have people on like Shelby just to broaden your perspective and go, gosh, I didn't even know there are people like Shelby out there, first of all, the wrote their career to this. And what a beautiful compliment to EdTech because what else are we doing than actually trying to make an impact? And if we don't know and we don't measure it effectively with all the nuance in K-12, what are we even doing? So thank you, Shelby, for coming on. One of the last questions we ask our guests It's always around the field of education. And even though it's beautiful and mission-driven and we, like you said, you were in the classroom and you get to see that light bulb in students' eyes and now you get the design studies to really prove that things are making a difference, it still can be exhausting. It still can be draining. So what do you do in those days where you're just, you know, your tank is empty and you need to recharge? Are there specific habits or rituals that
1: you do that help? kind to put that in your step? Absolutely. Well, I'm an avid reader. I probably read too much. However, I'm getting better at this. And so recently, believe it or not, I have learned how to ride a motorcycle. My husband for his birthday bought me a motorcycle so that we can go riding together. And it's been an interesting journey. I think learning to ride a motorcycle, is very spiritual almost because you, you learn this principle of how do you learn to ride within your skill level? It's called Risk Offset. And it's about how do you constantly manage how you ride within what you know you can do. And it just, I, every single time I do, I think about that, I think about education and how we how teachers think about how they teach within their skill level and how we can better support that as they grow. So it's been a lot. It's On the one hand, it's fun for recharging. On the other hand, I always end up thinking more about work. So it, it's just such a, a pleasure to learn that, that new thing.
0: That is awesome. I would never have guessed that. And I think it's funny that he bought you a motorcycle for his birthday. Yes. Shit hint. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show. I will put all of the resources you give me on our show notes. And just thank you for your time and the passion you bring to the industry. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, Take care.